0: Welcome to The Doctor's Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman, and that's pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a -A a place for conversations that matter. And today's conversation, I think you'll find matters a lot because it's about food, my favorite topic. And we're here with Ocean Robbins, who's an extraordinary man I've known for a long time now, known as father even longer. He's the author of the 31-Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World. I like the transform your world part. He's the CEO and co-founder of a half a million-plus member food revolution network. And I've been privileged to be part of that network and be on some of his food revolution summits. It's one of the largest communities of healthy eating advocates on the planet. And he has extraordinary people who come and are part of that people who I look up to, who I've learned from. It's really an awesome, awesome service that you and your father do to bring this to the, to the world. He's, he's done hundreds of live seminars and events, have touched millions of people in 190 countries. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, his grandfather now this is interesting you're going to like this his grandfather founded co-founded baskin robbins now i don't know if i ever told you this ocean but my first job was at baskin robbins
1: uh, 31 flavors <laughs> barack obama's also by the way
0: oh really yeah really is that why he, the book- he went
1: on to do some other stuff just <laughs> like you
0: <laughs> yeah, he don't feel other things. I, I I managed to accomplish a few things. But you know, is the book called Thirty One Days because of thirty one flavors? <laughs> is that was that on you purpose? Know, I'm, I'm saying that that my, my grandpa <laughs> said, you know,
1: there should be a flavor of ice cream for every day of the month. Oh yes. Yeah, uh, you know, at the time there was vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, and he, he broadened the palate quite a bit. And you know, I'm saying that thirty one steps to health can bring you more satisfaction even than thirty
0: one flavors of ice there cream. There you go. Thirty 30- I don't know. Rocky Road. Hard to beat that. Um, so, he, um, his father, John Robbins, who was heir to this enormous fortune, um, walked away and said, no, I don't want to do this. I, I want to change our food system. He wrote a book called Die for New America, which was one of the first books I read in this space. And it totally changed my way of thinking about food, about planetary health, about the environment, how it's all connected. I mean, it was really powerful. And I think, you know, you have carried on that work in a way that's it's a powerful mission that's transforming our industrialized food system into one that celebrates life, that celebrates people, that celebrates a healthy planet. Um, he's had many awards. Uh, I, I love the sort of compassionate work you do. The Youth for Environmental Sanity, or YES, uh, which you started at 16 years old. <laughs> a little overachiever there. Uh, and he's done, running for 20 years. He's an adjunct professor at Chapman University. He's received many awards for public service. And I'm just thrilled to have you here on The Doctor's Pharmacy.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled to be here with you and and get
0: to talk about one of my favorite topics as well, which is food. So, you know, you you really made your whole life about this topic. You uh, and your father and the work that you've done has just brought so much awareness around the issues that we're all facing about what to eat, about how it intersects with our health, how it intersects with planetary health, how it affects communities, how it links to social injustice issues. I mean, you guys really are are pioneers in this space, and I personally learned a lot from this. And I'd love if you could sort of, you know, share a little bit about your experience as the grandson of a guy who basically used factory farming to produce dairy products that, you know, weren't exactly the healthiest thing in the world. And you know, how that is sort of informed what you're doing. A, yeah, today. There are thirty-one, there are
1: 31 <laughs> chapters in 31 Day Food Revolution. Each ends with action steps you can take, and not one of them is to eat more ice cream. No,
0: not even coconut <laughs> ice cream. But, but you know uh, Actually I make really good ice cream. What I do, I'm just gonna tell you that I make I, I tell it's tricky. I'm gonna go yeah. make ice cream, I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah. And I take a blender like a yeah. Vitamix. I throw in frozen berries, yeah. I throw in a can of full fat coconut yeah. milk and cream. Yeah. And I blend it up and uh, throw a little vanilla in there. And people think I put it in like these special little glasses. It right. looks fancy. And people think it's ice cream. <laughs> yeah, soft serve style. I know we, we do similar.
1: We I use bananas. Uh, bananas, in there, there too. Yeah. yeah, it's fabulous. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, my grandpa founded the company, obviously. My dad, John, was groomed from early childhood to join and running it. He was sweeping the floors in the factory at the age of six. And He had an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool to swim in in the backyard. Uh, But when he was in his early 20s, he was offered that chance. And he said no. And he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream to, as we jokingly say... my favorite
0: thing. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) To follow his own rocky road. And, uh, you know, at the time, his uncle, Bert Baskin, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner, was dying of heart disease. He'd already had two heart attacks and ended up taking his life at the age of 54 and everyone in the family was rather large. They ate a lot of the family products. And my dad said... You don't mean
0: tall. You mean wide. No, I mean wide. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, yeah,
1: he had yeah. a lot of excess pounds. And, you know, uh, the reality is if you eat the standard American diet, you're going to get the standard American diseases mm-hmm. and die the standard American death eventually. And my dad was taking a look at his uncle and the situation. And he said, I don't want to spend my life selling a product that it's going to contribute to more people like my cousins losing their parents too soon and so he walked away (laughs) he moved with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada they built this one room log cabin and grew most of their own food Uh, yeah Vancouver Island Salt Spring Island actually and they they practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day and they named their kid Ocean that's me right they almost named me Kale
0: and oh, I'm, so I'm telling
1: you, I'm really glad for the sake of my social life that they took the no, conservative rap when man. they named their son. <laughs>
0: but, Back then, nobody knew what kale right, was. I it didn't. was a garnish.
1: Yeah, exactly. But but we did eat a lot of kale and cabbage and you know broccoli and onions and carrots and other veggies from the garden. And then when I got a little older, my dad researched his book Diet for New America, the first one that came out in 1987, and. You know, he really used his background in the food industry to expose the food industry and to show what was really going on, where our food was really coming from, and what it really meant to the world. And the media had a lot of fun with his story. They called him the rebel without a cone.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, he inspired a lot of people, including I like that. You know, one of the one of his readers ended up being my grandpa, and that's that's kind of an amazing part of the story. My grandpa was on death's door at the age of 71 with serious heart problems, type 2 diabetes, weight issues. And his doctors told him he didn't have long to live unless he made changes. And then his cardiologist gives him a copy of Die for New America, the book by his renegade son, which my Which he grandpa, knew he knew, he knew, all and right. he read the book, not the one my dad had given him that was autographed, but the one the doctor gave him. Yes, of course. Because it was blessed by the high priest of Western medicine. Yeah. And uh, he made changes. So he, he cut way down on his animal product consumption. He gave up sugar completely. He gave up ice cream. And he ate a lot more whole plant foods and vegetables. And he got results, Amazing. like tremendous results. Amazing. He got off all of his diabetes and blood pressure medications because he didn't need them anymore. <laughs> Lost a bunch of weight. His golf game improved seven strokes. Well, that's the way it's always Let's really right focus on the priorities here. <laughs> yeah, and he was a happy camper. He lived another 19 more healthy years after that. And Unbelievable. so, you know, we've seen in our family what happens when we go with the status quo, and we've seen what happens when we make a change, and you have too. And the results are so extraordinary. And that's part of what, you know, inspires me. Honestly, more so than my grandpa's business achievements, which are extraordinary. Mm-hmm are the fact that he had the courage to make a change. That's impressive. So when his life was on the line, he was willing to shift his thinking and his lifestyle dramatically and reap the benefits. And he was one stubborn cookie. Mm. So i tell you, if my grandpa could change his diet and give up ice cream, then I think there's hope for the rest of us too.
0: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's like Ray Kroc giving up Big Macs. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I I, um, I, read in your book uh, stat that, uh, I've heard before, but just it just really struck me again. You know, we talked about the opioid epidemic, which is yeah. horrible. You know, kills seventy thousand yeah. people a year. We talk right. about, um, you know, the deaths from all sorts of things, yeah, war and terrorism, and, right, and the smoking, and um, and what what you shared was that the food we eat is responsible for killing almost seven hundred thousand people a year in America. Yeah. And 11 million people a year around the world. I mean, right. imagine if there was a war that did that, or yeah. a terrorist group that did that, or yeah. there was some drug or something that was causing this problem. Yeah, we'd be all over it. Yeah, we—it would be like a national emergency. It would be, you know, we'd, we'd create martial law to fix the problem. Yeah,
1: yeah. and yet S- essentially, our burgers and fries are weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The the 678,000 Americans a year are dying from disease caused by our diets. Yeah. It's more than died in World Wars I, II, your, both Iraq Wars, Afghanistan, Korean War, Vietnam War combined. Everything. Yeah. All of it, but all in one year, every year. And the enemy isn't another country. It's our own knives and forks. And what we're doing with them, we're kind of digging our own graves with our knives and forks. And, you know, that can be depressing, but I actually think it's really good news. Because what it means is that all this suffering and misery and disease that we see around us is not inevitable. It's actually completely reversible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have not even scratched the surface of what's possible for human health when we optimize. I mean, there's researchers at Rush University in Chicago uh, studied uh, 950 people ages 81 and up over the course of quite some time. And they looked at their diet and lifestyle and all kinds of factors, they ended up concluding that the people who ate the most vegetables added 11 more years of healthy brain function to their lives. 11 years. Sounds I mean, good to me. My, my grandma died of Alzheimer's and at the end of her life, she couldn't even remember my name. Mm. And I think what I would have done to give her 11 more years, you know, to know her great grandkids, to, to get to see all the things I'm doing now. I wish she could see, I wish we could share it, but we can't because she's gone. Um, and so many people who are suffering right now. And what what would 11 years do for us? And vegetables is just scratching the surface. You add blueberries, that's good for another couple years of healthy brain function. Keep going and layering on the the good foods and saying no to the bad foods. I think that we're capable of so much more vitality, wellness, joy, and longevity than most of us can even imagine.
0: So you've taken a look at the landscape of our food system. Yeah. Uh, you've taken a look at the impact on health, on climate, on the environment, on social justice issues. I mean, you've really yeah. dug in. And you, you and your father have created this food revolution network. So what is your vision of what is a food revolution and, and why do we need one? And how do we come out the other side of it?
1: Well, we live in a society where we have a toxic food culture. Where it's considered normal to eat food that's laced with antibiotics, hormones, 55 pounds of added sugar a year, uh,
0: processed calories. Yeah, and, I actually you know, have a, in my cupboard, in my kitchen, I have a bottle of antibiotics, I have some pesticides, <laughs> I have some you. red dye number 40, I sprinkle it on my salad. It's awesome. <laughs>
1: It's essentially, effectively, that's what we do,
0: right?
1: (laughs) We're not intentionally.
0: I mean, uh, nobody's like, let's eat more of this stuff. Right,
1: exactly. But it's, but it's, it's the air we breathe. It's the sea we swim in. And so you actually have to go upstream. And, you know, when I say food revolution, I'm trying to make a point that what we need isn't food that's a little bit less bad. I'm not just calling for McDonald's to use less oil on their French fries, although that might be a step considering the type of oil they're using. But I'm saying we need a fundamental reinvention of how we produce food and how we process it and how we consume it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we step into a food revolution, we can radically transform our health outcomes and we can make a huge difference on the planet. You know, I uh, directed a nonprofit for 20 years and I worked with leaders in over 65 countries. And as I traveled the globe, I saw that everybody eats and that what we're eating has this huge impact. And I saw that all over the world, the U.S. is exporting a way of producing food with agrochemicals, pesticides, GMOs, etc. We are exporting a way of marketing food with KFC, McDonald's, Baskin-Robbins, spreading around the globe. And with that,
0: Yeah, you most know, developing countries, they're considered aspirational. They want to be know, more like us. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they're, they're a sign of, you know, wealth. And,
1: right. <laughs> exactly. And so, waistlines are expanding and hospitals are filling up and people are getting sick with diseases that were unheard of. A generation or two ago. And we know where that leads because we spend 19% of our gross domestic product on disease symptom management. We call it healthcare, but really it's disease treatment. And, and that's
0: increasing. Everywhere. And that's
1: increasing, and it's bankrupting us. In the long run, we can't afford this trajectory. And it's not just us, but around the world, more and more countries are following us. So, you know, in my own journey, after 20 years working globally with young leaders, I decided I didn't want to focus on food directly. And that's when I launched Food Revolution Network with my dad in 2012. And, you know, we are standing for healthy, ethical, and sustainable food for all, which is kind of a big mission. Uh, but, you know, what... Go
0: bigger, or go we, home. Right? Yeah,
1: right. I mean, the stakes are so high they right are. now. And I'm sick and tired. I've seen so many people feeling sick and tired. I'm fed up with a toxic food system, and I think a lot of people are. And so we're hungry for change, and we're making it happen. And that... That lights me up every day.
0: And it's true. Your book, The 31 Day Food Revolution, which I encourage everybody to get a copy of. that's 31 day day food revolution.com. You can learn more about it. Is in a way a manifesto for a new food system that is fun, that's delicious, that celebrates life, that celebrates love and community, that celebrates the planet and the earth we live on. I mean, these are really important ideas that are not your typical diet book. This is not just a diet book because who needs another one of those? I've written enough. I don't need another diet book. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a way of thinking about how to change in a very practical way the things we're doing to enhance our own well-being, to enhance the well-being of our communities, to enhance the well-being of the environment and climate and everything that really matters to us. And what inspired you to sort of sit down and actually put this all together because you've been doing this work for a long time. You have lots of products you've created around the food revolution network, but this is sort of a unique baby for you.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I do, I've been working online with online summits and emails and so forth. I know a lot of people who want to spend less time on their computer uh, and more time reading books. And I decided a book would be a nice way to reach folks, but there are really two things that make 31 day food revolution kind of unique, I think and one is the focus on action. Every single chapter ends with action steps you can take, because at the end of the day, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they don't care a heck of a lot how much you know, how many podcasts you want, listen to, how many books you read, but they do care what you eat and how you yeah. live. And I wanna help people get results. Yeah. And the other thing that's unique is that it bridges the personal, the interpersonal, and the systemic. Because at the end of the day, food is super intimate. I mean, what you eat literally becomes you. Um, but it's also very political. I mean, it, it inter- interacts with systems and institutions all over the world. And so what you
0: put on your fork is actually a political act.
1: It is, it's a vote. You're voting for the health you want and you're voting for the world you want. And I wanna help people make that vote conscious because there are so many problems in the world that can feel overwhelming and unconfrontable from war and famine and climate change and all these issues. And uh, what I'm saying is that with your food choices, you actually have the capacity to make a real impact. Mm -hmm. They say you can make a difference. I say, "Uh uh-uh. When it comes to food, you do make a difference. Every bite you take, every dollar you spend. And the question is, what is the difference you're going to make? And how conscious can you be in that choice? And I want to put the power in your hands where it belongs.
0: It's true. I think one of the most uh, challenging parts of our world today is this overwhelming sense of disempowerment. Yeah. Uh, In terms of controlling our own lives, our own destiny, what's happening... On a global scale, it just feels overwhelming, and yeah. we just throw up our hands. People don't even vote in this country. Right. I mean, think about it. many countries that you know never could vote. All of a sudden, everybody can vote, and like a hundred percent of the people go out and vote. Here, yeah. we get you know we're lucky if we get thirty percent of the people voting who right. vote. Right. And and this is a, a, a call to action around understanding the linkages between the choices you make and everything that happens within you, around you, around the planet. And it's just yeah. a beautiful a beautiful way of looking and breaking it all down. I want to, I want to dig into something I think that's just really important. And I think it's challenging for a lot of people out there, which is this whole polarization in the food movement. Yeah. Uh, and, and you and your father have just done this beautiful job of creating this middle way that's mm-hmm. sensible, that it's inclusive, that doesn't create these divisions between all these different philosophies and approaches, whether it's vegan or paleo or, you know, whatever the, the sort of extremes are. And and uh, I, I feel like that's a really important thing. I'd love you to address because you're in the middle of it all. And you were saying before you, you know, you're getting angry emails from from some followers who think, "Why are you not eating this way or that way?" And right. uh, how, can you address how we sort of bridge that?
1: You know, we live in a increasingly polarized world, whether it's politics or religion or. Sometimes even race, mm-hmm. and certainly diet falls into it as well. Where so many of us have a particular worldview or ideology, and we think it's right, which is good. Yeah. You should you should think that what you believe is right, you know. But I think that when we think that everyone else is wrong if they don't see it the way we do, we lose some of the three dimensional richness of humanity, mm-hmm. because you know what's right for you and what's right for me may not always be the same thing. And in fact, depending on your health history, your metabolism, your ecosystem, your ethics, your life stage, where you live, what season it is, the optimal diet may change, right? And so I'm interested in helping each person to attune to their own best interests, their own inner wisdom. You're the only you on the planet. Just because 500 studies say that most people most of the time do better with a certain food in their diet doesn't mean that you do, yeah. right? And so I wanna help each person to become the author of their own food choices, informed by the data, informed by epidemiological studies, informed by what we know, but also listening to what we know that, that only we can know about our own life journey and experience. Um, when it comes to food, I think we know a lot that's really clear. I mean, there have been over 10,000 studies published in peer-reviewed journals mm-hmm. which tell us pretty consistent information about the foods we need to eat more of yeah. and less of. There are some points of disagreement, understandably, possibly because the answer isn't the same for everybody.
0: And also the research is confusing.
1: You know? Yeah, it can be. I but mean, on, to- <laughs> the, on the broad swaths, yeah, we still- know that we need to eat less sugar and processed junk. We need to eat less animal products broadly, especially from factory farms. Sure. We need to eat more whole plant foods, especially vegetables. Yes. And that sourcing matters. In other words, organic, local, fair trade. These things matter at least in their environmental impact, if not their impact on human health. Yeah. So those are the basic principles of what I call the Food Revolution Diet Plan. Yeah. And we just make those kinds of changes. We can uplift the health of, you know, hundreds of millions of human beings. And then within that, of course, we can discuss, you know, what's the optimal amount of animal products in the diet is. Is it zero, 5%, 10%? Is it more? What the optimal amount of macronutrients, fat, carbohydrates, protein? You know, there are different studies and different and it perspectives. It depends on you, like you said. Right? It does. It does. You know, and I mean, we hear, obviously, some people say eat lots of protein. And we have studies from like Dr. Walter Longo telling us that You know, a high-protein diet could be more dangerous than smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, But partly it depends where the protein's coming from. Yes. And uh, I don't think you can just look at macronutrients outside of the cofactors and all the vitamins and minerals and everything else. Hydrochemicals. Exactly. Um, But the big picture is really clear. And we can look at the blue zones for guidance, I think, which Dan Buettner studied for National Geographic. You know, these are the places where people have lived the longest, healthiest lives. There are elders, you know, in terms of healthy eating. And they're, you know, in Italy and Greece and Costa Rica and Loma Linda, California, and of course, Okinawa, Japan. And when we look at these regions, you know, we see they have certain things in common and certain things very different, right? But they all move and have lots of exercise in their lives. They all have some form of spiritual practice or stress reduction built into their lives. They have strong community ties and they eat a predominantly plant-based diet. They get between zero and 10% of calories from animal products. And In the U.S., we're at 34%, food. and they eat real food, not processed junk, and they eat very little sugar, whereas we're getting 55 pounds a year added sugars for the average American. And
0: I think it's more so, like 150.
1: Too. Well, it depends if you count added or total sugar calories. So yeah, yeah. actual added, I think, is yeah. 55, but obviously we have other forms too. And by the way,
0: most people who listen to me know this, but starch and sugar are pretty much interchangeable. You know, if you eat yeah. a bagel or a bowl of sugar below your neck, your body can't tell the difference. Yeah. Right.
1: goes in so fast. Yeah. So I think that the, um, the, the blue zones are a good guide for us. And, I, you know, some people may argue until uh, the cows come home, literally, about whether, you know, the optimal is zero or one or 10 or whatever percent calories to animal products. Um, I have a, a um, very spacious attitude around that personally, because I want to point in a direction. Yeah. And how far you go in that direction is dependent on a lot of different factors, and uh, I think we tend to obsess over details and lose the big picture.
0: Yes, 100%. I mean, I know sort of why so jokingly came up with the idea of a pegan diet, which was making fun of the extremes and said, look, 90% of what you guys talk about is the same. Yeah. Whole foods, get rid of processed foods, plant rich right. diet, eat right. good fats, add lots of nuts and seeds. Yeah. If you're going to eat animals, don't eat animals that have been grown in ways that are harmful for them, harmful for us, and harmful for the planet. I mean, it's just basic common sense, you know? I think uh, epidemiology and nutrition research is tough because everybody can kind of pick what studies they want. And I I once uh, went to a lecture by one of the most renowned scientists in the world, Bruce Ames, Uh, or the Ames test, which is a chemistry test that detects carcinogenic compounds in, in the environment, our food. And he said, you know, epidemiology is funny. If you study Miami, you'd find that everybody's born Hispanic and dies Jewish. (laughs) Because it's a correlation. It doesn't prove cause and effect. And so we have challenges with the same. I mean, one study I saw, you know, know, meat eaters were much more likely to die. But you also look at their characteristics. Those were periods of time when the people who ate meat were not following the guidelines which were to eat less meat. And right. so they didn't really care about the health. They smoked more. They drank more. They were more overweight. They didn't yeah. eat fruits and vegetables. They had more processed food. Other studies where you look at meat eaters and vegetarians who shop at health food stores, meaning they probably eating meat in the context of a healthy diet. Yeah, They have the same risk reduction in death. So right. I think we, we kind of have to get away from polarization. We have to sure. understand that we really have to work together to create a better food system, to understand the basic principles of, of sustainability for our health, for our, for our communities and our planet. So that's what the 31-day food revolution really does. I think it really addresses that. Yeah. I want to I want to dig into some of these controversial issues. One of them is is GMOs because there's just so much polarization. You listen to yeah. the government; like, that's fine. There's no problem with GMOs. You listen to obviously industry; they're like, "This is going to save the world. We can't right. live without it." Right. You listen to extremists on the other side; they said, "This is going to kill you. We're all going to die." It's right. in GMOs. Right. In Europe, you know, they really restricted GMOs and banned them in many cases. Uh, in this country, it's a free for all. You don't want labeling. I mean, I, I, it goes so far as as the um, in Washington. I don't know if you probably heard about uh-huh. this where the, the grocery manufacturers of America got together with the big food companies, which they represent, and said, let's do a campaign to subvert the GMO labeling, right. which they wanted to do in Washington. Sure. Well, they did, and they were found to be inclusion, did it illegally, which is violating the yeah. campaign's finance laws. They were yeah. fined $17 million, I think.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much closed <laughs> down the GMA. I mean, it's it's falling apart now. Yeah, right, yeah.
0: right, and so the, which is actually a good thing, because these food right. companies go, wait a minute, I don't want to be part of that. Yeah, like it was, it was the largest
1: in- campaign finance violation in U.S. history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is a big issue, and they're fighting just to prevent us from being even aware. Yeah. Of don't you want to know what's in your food? You can't right. say GMO or not. So, what's your view on GMOs? Are they that bad? Uh, are people overstating the case? Or yeah. Like is- well,
1: first of all, what's a GMO? Some people think it means God move over. It yeah. doesn't. It's genetically modified organism. Um, you know.
0: God move over. <laughs>
1: The the, uh, You know, Monsanto, now Bayer, Syngenta, Dow, DuPont, the big agrochemical companies behind this technology promised the world that it would bring us bigger yields, more drought-resistant crops, better nutrition, better flavor, and lower pesticide consumption. But 25 years plus (laughs) into the mass (laughs) cultivation of GMO crops, we haven't got any of that. Yeah. We haven't, the studies show, a union of Concerned scientists ran a study, they found that it hadn't brought bigger yields. Yes. Um, we, we know that it hasn't saved water, it hasn't brought us any improvement in flavor or nutrition, and it's actually brought a net increase of about 200 million pounds a year of added pesticides. So wow. what are we getting from GMO crops? So the
0: promise has failed.
1: The promise has failed. What we are getting is crops that have one or both of two traits. Number one, they're pesticide producers. They produce the insecticide Bt in every cell of the plant. And now Bt is generally considered safe for humans. It's been used in organic agriculture for a long time. But that's sprayed on the outside. Now it's in every cell of the plant. And certain bugs, they take a bite, their stomach splits open, and they die. Oh, gosh. And we're eating that now, and you can't wash it off, right? And then the other trait is that they are herbicide-tolerant. So they can be sprayed with glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, or with 2,4-D, which is one of the active ingredients in Agent Orange. And they, these are weed killers, and they'll kill the weeds, but, but not the crop. So now we're eating is essentially uh, crops that have been sprayed with weed killer. Now, what is the impact of consuming glyphosate, for example, on human health? Well, we don't exactly know, but we do know it's a probable carcinogen. We know that it's- an disruptor. this endocrine. is not your opinion. This is-, this is No, the, this is the World Health Organization. Yeah, right. It's an endocrine disruptor. We know that it's been patented as an antibiotic, so it can kill bacteria. Yeah, it screws up your microbiome.
0: Right, right. So we're it's now eating large amounts of, thion, of this which stuff. Which is what you need to detoxify things anyway. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, so what is the impact? Well, we know that since uh, GMOs have been in mass cultivation, and since we've been consuming more and more glyphosate, food allergy rates have been skyrocketing. Hospitalizations for kids in the last generation have tripled for food allergies. This isn't just some overprotective mom freaking out because her kid gets a bruise. Hospitalizations here we're talking about. So um, it seems that we are in a time when more and more people are having digestive problems. And it could be that there is a connection between the BT and the glyphosate that we're consuming and those problems. Now correlation isn't causation. There are a lot of other things that have happened that have made our food supply more contaminated during those same years. But when you see a correlation this strong, I think it's worth considering the possibility yeah. that there's and it's an everywhere. Effect. Like, if hey,
0: you look at your Cheerios, <laughs> people feed their kids as a healthy breakfast, right. it's full of glyphosate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, yeah, there have been studies showing just that.
0: So, no, I have uh, tell something. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm always sort of biohacking myself and yeah. trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, and I, I recently just tested a whole series of environmental chemicals uh-huh. to see, you know, I'm somebody who's pretty conscious, filter yeah. my water. Have yeah. an air purifier. Eat organic most of the time, yeah. and I travel, so I'm not always I perfect. And I try to do a good job of of eating real food and not processed food. I don't yeah. eat packaged food. I mean, I just yeah. really do a good job. Yeah. And I got my glyphosate level back, uh-huh. and I was like, "Whoa!" And it was it wasn't like at the 90th percentile, but it was like at the fortieth percentile. Uh-huh. Meaning it was it was still up there. It had some
1: residues showing, even up, yeah. though
0: I am super aware and conscious. What if you're eating, you know, packaged food that's full of GMO corn? I mean, right. w- one of the greatest things in Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma was when he basically like, you know, looked at his it, where the carbon comes from 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 the corn, which is yeah. this hybridized GMO corn, right. and we all have this this carbon from corn in our bodies. It's 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 more than our you know other sources of carbon, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so if you want to avoid GMOs, then the top thing to do is to go organic because Mm -hmm. organic foods by definition are non-GMO. Number two, you can go with certified non-GMO products, which has gone from nothing to a $25 billion sales industry in the U.S. in the last seven years. Mm -hmm. And number three, you can look at where the major crops are. So they're corn, soy, canola, sugar beets, cotton, which is used in cotton seed oil, and then alfalfa. Most of us don't eat a lot of alfalfa. But um, if you choose to... Don't forget
0: wheat. Well, wheat isn't... Because wheat isn't a GMO food, but they spray it with glyphosate to exfoliate it just before harvest, That's right. which probably is even worse because it just gets on the plant right at the level of of harvest, which then stays on the plant.
1: So if if you've noticed an uptick in gluten sensitivity, it is entirely possible that that's actually commercially grown wheat that's causing that issue. And that the glyphosate has a big fact, is a big factor in that. It's used as a desiccant, yeah. uh, some with oats and barley too, by the way, but most of all with wheat. So that's another reason if you're going to eat wheat, go organic because mm-hmm. that also is going to avoid the glyphosate. Uh, and then, so yeah, but corn, soy, canola, cotton, and sugar beets are, which is half the sugar supply is sugar beets in the U. S. Are um, typically genetically engineered. So. Those are crops to watch out for along with the wheat as you're mentioning, and go organic, and those th- that can make a big difference.
0: So so do we know for sure there's harm, or we're just sort of like, is it better to just be have a precaution around it? Because I don't I don't think
1: we know for sure. Yeah. I don't think we know for sure. We do know pretty for sure that glyphosate isn't good for us. Yeah. And that it's widespread, and GMO crops are glyphosate sponges functionally, yes. right? Um, but it's not the only source of glyphosate exposure. I think that pesticides in general are problematic. We know that farm workers are dying in droves of cancer, that life expectancy for farm workers in California is 49 years, according to one study.
0: It's the most dangerous occupation.
1: Yeah, that's Super right. Super high rates of Parkinson's. And, you know, they're out there in the field spraying these pesticides, and they're kind of like the canary in the coal mine. Yes. It doesn't take a coal miner to realize that if it's killing farm workers, it's probably not that good for the rest of us to eat that stuff either. So- I always say, you know, if you're choosing between an organic donut and, and non-organic kale, go for the kale. Right. You know, there's a lot of studies telling <laughs> right. us that we should be eating more vegetables and whether yeah. or not you can afford organic, you can put that them to use and eat those vegetables. And if you can afford it, organically grown foods are probably safer for consumers and they're definitely safer for farm workers and the planet. I
0: think this is a good principle. You know, when you think about things like trans fats that were in the food supply since 1911 when somebody figured out how to make Crisco, Yeah. it took a hundred years for us to get it out of a food supply. And it's still in the food supply. And it was found later to be very dangerous yeah. uh, and kill hundreds of thousands of people a year. Right. And then it was everywhere in our food. Margarine, I grew up on that. You probably did Fleshman's margarine. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe you didn't because your dad was an island I did. in Vancouver. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was so um, prevalent. And now the FDA says it's not safe to eat. Yeah. Well, we we have this habit in this country of, you know, put something in the system right. and then find out later if it's a problem. Yeah, it Should be the other way around. We should right. apply the precautionary principle, which is yeah. if there's a suggestion this may not be good, let's prove that it's safe. Right. Let's check it out.
1: I think so. I mean, there are 1,400 chemicals in the US food supply. Flavorings, colorings, additives, preservatives, emulsifiers. I thought it was 3,000. Well, it might be. Maybe 1,400 <laughs> that are widely
0: used. Oh, you are know? Widely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're widely and used. And
1: most of these have never been tested for their long-term health effects on human beings. Or their synergy. Or their interactions. That's right. right. Exactly. And, you know, Mother Nature is pretty darn smart. And what we keep learning is that every single life form comes with all kinds of microorganisms that interact with each other, cofactors. And together, they create a symphony. You know, if you go out and play your trumpet, you'll have one sound. But if you play an orchestra, you have another sound. And I tend to think trumpets sound better in orchestras than solo. And that's true with most of these things. So when you extract a chemical, you may be able to patent it. But yeah. that doesn't mean just because you can make money off of patenting it, that it's an improvement over what Mother Nature yeah. came up with.
0: Well, it's, it's frightening when you actually look at the effects of these things. Uh, I think yeah. <laughs> and the FDA has been pretty lousy at dealing with this. The European... Yeah. Union has been much better at getting rid of toxic chemicals in our yeah. products and our food, the GMOs. They're, they're much more cautious about what they do. And I, I, I had Dr. Alessio Fasano, who's a, a professor at Harvard, who's an expert in gluten, and we were talking about the difference. When people eat wheat in this country, they get sick when they go to Italy or they go to Europe, they don't. Yeah. And I, I've seen this over the years in my yeah. practice. I'm like, I don't. Yeah. How is this happening? And I think that maybe some of the things you're talking about, that the quality is different. Mm-hmm. He says they ferment it longer. I don't know, but. It's, it's pretty interesting. Now, one of the things that you, you know, uh, people might be thinking as they're listening to this is, oh, wait, wait a minute. You know, organic, non-GMO, like I can't afford that. Right. Sure. I mean, this is, this is elitist. It's yeah. expensive. Yeah. I can barely pay the bills. I'm on food stamps. You know, what do you say to those people? Cause you, you do address this in your book, which I is, do. by the way, this is an awesome book and everybody yeah. should get it, but it's, it's really uh, an important issue to address about. How do you deal with this if you are on a budget?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I'm grateful for in my own life is, you know, after my dad walked away from Baskin Robbins, my family was monetarily poor. So I was born in a one-room log cabin to parents who were living on less than $1,000 a year.
0: You didn't have 31 rooms. You had no, one room. <laughs> one room.
1: Yeah, and it was very cold. It was a log cabin with some holes in the walls in Canada. Yeah, it was It was an interesting way to start. But I'm really grateful for it because, you know, we watched every dollar, every penny when I was growing up. And um, we ate healthy. you know. We learned that you can grow a lot and we based our diet around the staples mm-hmm. and we didn't go out to eat at restaurants. And I learned that it's possible to really thrive uh, and eat wonderful food on very little money. And uh, it, it breaks my heart right now that statistically in the United States, the poorer you are and the browner your skin the more likely you are to base your diet around processed foods and factory farm animal products. And the more likely you are to suffer and die from heart disease and cancer and type two diabetes and Alzheimer's and all the other lifestyle induced illnesses of our times. And I think that it is a travesty that we have children growing up in America right now who are obese in their childhood Who don't have the nutrients they need to think clearly? We send them to school, a taxpayer expense, and then we expect them to learn, but they don't have the basic nutrition to be able to learn properly. And they think it's their fault that they feel like crap and that they're overweight and they don't have energy. Right? So they're given ritalin and they're blamed and they're warehoused. And I think that we can do a lot better as a society, and we're failing our kids and we're failing our poor. Yeah, I mean, there was one kid our class
0: when I was growing up that might have had a special needs. Now there's like half the class. Right,
1: <laughs> right. But the reality is that it does sometimes feel like it can take your whole paycheck just to eat whole foods. Yeah, yeah. And we have a system in which, um, you know, essentially the poor are content, condemned to nutritional disasters. Yeah. And in 31 Day Food Revolution, I explain how this came to be. What you can do if you are on a budget, if you want to s- live simply and save money and also eat well. And I also explain how we can change the systems to make it easier for everybody to eat, right? So for, for the individual, let's suppose you're somebody. So who We do we do need policy changes. We because, need policy changes. Because change. the real
0: cost of what we're eating is not embedded in the price. The real cost yeah. of the food, the processed food, doesn't include the damage to our health and the consequences for taxpayers around paying Medicare and Medicaid. It doesn't right. account for the damage to the environment the climate and all those sort of externalities that are sure. not included. So what is a can of Coke? Should cost probably hundred dollars, right? Could be, a fee, yeah. Factory-farmed animal should probably cost you know hundred dollars a pound, right? Yeah, it, it probably should.
1: Uh, and there's also the fact that it, it's actually we're subsidizing it, taxpayer expense, well, the exactly commodities right. crops, which eventually means we're bringing down the price of high-fructose corn syrup and factory-farmed meat. And you hey, know, Twi- you Twinkies has 14 subsidized ingredients.
0: It's mean You might you might know this, but people probably listening don't that when Nixon was was trying to get re-elected, the price of meat and dairy were going up. Yeah. So, he changed 40 years of agricultural policy to incentivize the production of these processed foods. Yeah. In, in other words, the corn and the soy that these animals ate to actually reduce the prices so he could yeah. get elected, <laughs> which led to this glut of, wow. of, of incentivization of yeah. these commodity crops, which yeah. is what we have now. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we need policy change. And let's suppose you're an individual. You're like, I can't change the whole government. And how the heck do I feed my family, right? So the most expensive calories you will ever eat are the ones that kill you, you know, make you sick. I mean, last time I checked, cancer was pretty expensive. You know, Alzheimer's was pretty darn costly. Feeling like crap was pretty expensive too, right? The next most most expensive calories are the ones you waste. The average American family wastes $2,000 a year in food that literally goes bad in the fridge. So one of the keys is to have shopping lists, plan ahead, cook in quantity on the weekends, clear out your cupboards, clear Excuse out your fridge. soups,
0: right? Cause you That's can- right.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of cooking big soups and you know, freezing containers in the freezer and you know, sharing with neighbors and cooking in quantity and saving up. Cause most of us don't have tons of time on our hands during the week and we get busy. So it's nice to plan ahead. Uh, and you can also avoid impulse purchases. A lot of people, half their shopping is impulse purchases, and it's usually the least half healthy half. So if you can plan ahead and really decide on what you want to get, then that can help a lot. And then uh, when you feed your body right and are nourishing your body well, you actually may find that you crave calories less because many of us are calorie, calorie gluttonous, but we're actually nutrient starved. Yes. We're actually not getting some of the critical nutrients we need, and so we're con- constantly hungry. And when you really uh, base your diet around whole natural foods, you can get rid of some of the cravings. The average American is eating 500 calories too much per day, maybe even more. And you end up saving money that way too. Yeah. Um, So, and then I also am interested in the real superfoods. You know, we talk about Himalayan goji berries for 30 bucks a pound, and we think that's a superfood. But you know, really, uh, real superfoods are super because they can do the most good for the most people. Yeah. You know, cabbage doesn't cost that much. You know, carrots, onions, mushrooms are a superfood in, yeah, in my last book. Last night,
0: I made a delicious vegetable dish with red cabbage, which was pretty yeah. cheap. Sliced apples, a few raisins, lemon, salt and pepper, cooked it on the stove. I mean, it was just delicious. And I don't know, it probably cost me $3 or $2 for right. this beautiful dish.
1: Yeah, and I think legumes are a superfood. They're sometimes called the poor man's meat. Yeah. But actually, I don't think we should uh, pan- penalize them. Beans, yeah. We shouldn't penalize them just because they're affordable. Yeah. You know, the reality is they provide about a third of the world's protein for human beings. And they are vastly more efficient from a resource standpoint, ecological standpoint, than meat is. And they're more affordable. you know and i know there's controversy in the paleo world about them or whatever but my view is when i look at the studies generally for most people legumes which are mostly beans are associated with a lot of positive health benefits and they're pretty darn affordable
0: minerals vitamins yeah it's great you know what's interesting is it i think people are challenged because they don't know how to do something yeah so i can go open my fridge and it looks like there's nothing there yeah and you came over this morning for breakfast and I made you a breakfast out of whatever le- was left in the fridge that yeah. I hadn't, you know, put together. And I haven't been shopping because I've
1: been by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and it's really about s- sort of learning a set of skills. That's what's so great yeah. about your 31-day food revolution book is that you provide actionable steps and people how to actually do this stuff. Yeah, people need yeah. to learn the basic life skills of cooking and shopping and eating. And and if you don't know that, it's overwhelming. But yeah. I, you know, I think you're really right about this whole poverty thing and this, and, and, and the injustice around food because it's, it's not, um, that it costs too much. It's not uh, a lack of happening. Yeah. Uh, it's not a lack of this being able to happen if people know what to do. It's just a lack of knowledge. Yeah. And I, and as part of the movie Fed Up, I went into this home and this families. Which was in a trailer. They were on food stamps disability. Mm-hmm. They were massively obese. They were trying to do all the right things, following the government's guidelines of low fat and and this and that. Yeah. And and they they just didn't know what to do. And I showed them how to cook one meal. Mm-hmm. I showed them how to chop an onion. I mean, they didn't know how to peel garlic. Yeah. They didn't know how to take right. olive oil and vinegar and stick it on the salad. They need bottled yeah. dressing, which is right. mostly refined soybean oil and high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. yeah. And 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 they were like, "Oh my God, this is fun. It's easy. I showed them we can do it together as a family." And it, yeah. and I'm like, "I don't know what's gonna happen." And they like, "I go for a day. I leave. You know, some rich doctor from the north comes up to the south and is." worst food desert in America and tries to change things. I'm like, who am I? But I said, okay, oh, yeah, let's try it. And they, they literally started cooking and they lost hundreds of pounds. The yeah. son, Brady, yeah. lost 138 pounds and asked me for a recommendation for medical school. So, I wrote him a letter for yeah. medical school. That's the power of understanding even on food stamps and disability yeah. in the, one of the worst food deserts in America, this family could actually Absolutely. actually do this. And I yeah. was like, wow, yeah. if that's possible, then we're only one meal away from changing everything. Mm-hmm.
1: It's true. And you know, for anybody listening right now who's thinking, oh my gosh, you know, where do I start? I just want to say, however, um, however far you are from your ideal around food, that's how much benefit you can get from making a change however bad things are that's how much better they can be and you know some people the food revolution the next step is you know getting the right kind of heirloom kale at the farmer's market and for other people you know it's it's giving up the french fries you know but whatever the step is that you can take I just want to say more power to you we're here to help you you know because it matters it really really matters and every step you take builds momentum and helps make the next step easier for so many people apathy Is the thief of destiny
0: so so what is the some action steps that you might encourage people to do from your book that just are doable that will change how they feel will will change the things that matter
1: well you can look at the worst offenders think about what's in your kitchen what's in your fridge what's on your menu where do you eat out what are the spots where the least healthy foods enter your life and try to eliminate a couple of them you know by developing positive solutions you know if you find that you're sometimes tired and worn out after a long day of work and you stop by, for, stop eat out for fast food or stop by and grab convenience, ready to go foods that aren't so healthy. Maybe you wanna plan ahead, have some ready to go stuff in the fridge or freezer. Maybe you want to uh, find a friend that can make dinner for you on Tuesday nights because they're really stressful for you. Mm-hmm. Create a, a food sharing program with people at work, where on Mondays I bring lunch for four of us, and on Tuesdays Wendy does. And you know we not Wendy's, create, no, not Wendy's. <laughs> well, we can Jill, we can Jill share. I, I love building community. Any way we can build positive social reinforcement. I mean, we know that we are more likely to exercise when we have a date with somebody. If you have a tennis date or hiking Which I do date,
0: later date. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah,
1: wonderful. Yeah, that that gets us out. It creates accountability. Yeah. And the same can happen around food. Yeah. Um, you can also get clear out your spice rack. Spices are amazing. Oh you know, we tend to to season our food in the U.S. with salt, sugar, and fat, but you can actually season with you know pepper and black pepper and red pepper and you know turmeric and mm-hmm. all and these spices other spices. Are so garlic, right? they and they're are. so powerful.
0: I don't know if you noticed this morning. The coffee tastes a little different uh-huh. because I, I made him coffee and I put in cardamom yeah. with the coffee grounds so it would flavor the coffee with yes. this spice and give extra phytochemicals and deliciousness. So wonderful.
1: You know, spices uh, make food taste better, but they also add so many wonderful antioxidants and, and fabulous nutrients to food. And there are studies showing garlic, for example, helps your immune system. It helps fight cancer. It's, it's a superfood, actually.
0: Unless you want to get really close to somebody who also has to be
1: the <laughs> Yeah, there is that. There is that. But if they eat it too, then it won't, it won't, they won't That's notice right. it as I much. That's why I gave my wife
0: garlic this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is just such an exciting uh, book. And I, I think it's time that um, we as a culture, as a society, even globally – start to grapple with the power of food to change the things that matter for us. And yeah. you have done such a good job in your book of, of outlining this and not just in your book, but the food revolution network, the summits that you have, I've been privileged to be a part of them uh, are really changing the conversation about what food is and how to change what we do. And I think I can't tell you how grateful I am personally, that you and your dad are doing this work, that you've written this book, to guide people. Uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books, reviewed a lot of books. Uh, this one's really special because it's, it's inclusive. It's not divisive. It addresses so many of the challenges we face, whether it's how to eat well on a budget, whether it's how to understand some of the nuances of things like GMO that we're all confused about, how to build community. And it's actionable. And there's all these wonderful, really practical steps for people to do. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty inspiring.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. I, I had a lot of fun writing it. And ultimately, I want to put the power in your hands and everyone's hands to create the lives and the health and the world that we want.
0: So, so sometimes, you know, we look at, at things and we feel pretty hopeless. I mean, this is a very hopeful book. Yeah. And and I get, uh, you know, I've been writing another book. Uh, I don't know why I do this. but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, some it's kind semi- of a masochist, I think. <laughs> I think I must be. And it's called Food Fix. and, yeah. and It's going to come out in 2020. But the idea... I'm trying to understand is, is the impact of our food system, and you know, I was talking to one of the researchers who's helping me, and just just so getting so depressed about the way in which the food industry has control over, for example, the government or nutrition science. Yeah, and it's so it's so disturbing to me how powerful that force is to shift things in the wrong direction. Yeah, how do you, in that context, have hope, and what is the hope that you see that's emerging? From the food movement and how do do we how do we grab onto that?
1: Well first of all we are up against some pretty formidable forces that are pretty invested in the status quo. I mean there's a lot of money being made from the status quo both with agribusiness but also with the medical industry. I mean 19% of our GDP is going to drugs and surgeries and treatments for the symptoms of disease. That's a lot of money. And most of it's caused by food. Right we're talking trillions of dollars are at play here uh, from the status quo and the preservation of the status quo. And I'm not saying doctors are staying up all night trying to figure out how to you know, make people yeah. sick. I'm saying that they're part of a system that doesn't have incentive to make people well, you know,
0: yeah. ultimately. I mean, what's amazing to me, and you point this out, is that nutrition and bad food is the cause of most chronic disease. Right. And yet doctors know nothing about food yeah. and learn none of it in medical right.
1: school. Right, 19 hours of nutritional education is the average in all of medical school. And most of that is on specific nutrients and deficiencies in how to diagnose, nothing about what to eat. And it's out also of, the cure. Right. Out of 150 medical schools in the United States, only four have a single dedicated faculty on food. Right. And yet we know food is the foundation of health. We're treating it like a little afterthought. So we're up against some powerful forces and the factory farming industry is heavily invested in how to exploit animals for maximal profit, regardless of the cost to them or the planet or our own health. Mm -hmm. And in that context, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed because, you know, you drive down the street, stop at any convenience store, stop at any fast food restaurant. And at least for me, there's not much I can eat there. You know, given the values I it hold. It might be a
0: banana now at the counter. It may be some nuts. Maybe <laughs> a banana if you're lucky. But the nuts are usually like deep fried Yeah, and, and the banana is,
1: is from a <laughs> tropical country and it's saturated in pesticides and fungicides. But uh, anyway, the, you know, <laughs> enough on that. The, 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 what gives me hope, Mark, is that we're changing all that. You know, in the last generation, we've seen a five-fold increase in the number of farmers markets in the United States. Yes. A four-fold increase in the amount of organic foods sold. Natural foods are exploding. When I was a kid, you know, you couldn't find soy milk in a safe way. And nowadays, it's like, is it soy? Is it almond? Is it oat? Is it rice? You know, there's all these options. People are demanding change. And it's spreading. Uh, More and more people care where their food comes from, how it was produced. Fair trade is taking off. Local is taking off. Community-supported agriculture. More and more people are buying direct from farmers. And I realize it's still niche and it's still far too stratified economically. Mm-hmm. So the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to participate in these kinds of things. And I think we need to change that so that everybody has access to these opportunities. But it is starting and growing and gaining traction. 95% of American consumers in a recent survey said they, would, they sometimes make healthier choices when they have the option. Um, but only 25% understood or felt confident that they knew what healthier options right. were. So we need to spread the education about what we actually know I think we have a sea of confusion, a crisis, an epidemic even of confusion around nutrition. The, and what's happening is that that it it preserves the status quo.
0: When you're confused, you tend to stick with what's well, that's, familiar. You well, know, that's on purpose. You know, it's not an accident. The, yeah. the nutrition industry funds about twelve billion dollars of research a year. The government about a billion. And the, you mean stu- the food
1: industry that funds the yeah. food industry
0: funds yeah. about a twelve billion, and the government funds about a billion. Right. And the studies that come out from the food industry always show benefit for their product, whether yeah. it's dairy or soda or whatever, that yeah, right. there's not an issue. right? And so that's why it confuses the science.
1: Sure. I mean, the tobacco industry for a long time said the jury was still out. We didn't know. Let's not do anything rash. Right. And then eventually they gave, they caved. You know, I think that we're going to see something similar with sugary sodas, for example. We're already seeing soda taxes in a few places. We'll probably see warning labels before long. It's yeah. the writings on the wall, the epidemic. Uh, costs are enormous and clear. Um, and, uh, but the good news is that consumers are creating marketplace change. We're, we're building a new economy yeah. based around healthy food. You know, I, the way I look at it, food 1.0 is survival. If you can get enough calories to fill your belly, then that's success. Food 2.0, the central organizing principle is commerce, it's the buying and selling of goods. That's what yeah. my grandpa was so good at, yeah. you know, 31 flavors of ice cream, you know. And it's brought us a lot of taste and texture and cuisine and cheap food, Unfortunately, it's morally bankrupt. And that's why I say we need to go to Food 3.0, where the central organizing principle is health. You know, health for our bodies and health for our planet. And I think there are healthy profits in yeah. Food 3.0. It's just they come from healthy food. And I think we're creating that new economy. Yeah, I think and that's And it's, it's, it can happen very fast. And even the big food industry is starting to get on board. They're realizing that the policies and practices that made them giants in the 20th century we'll make them dinosaurs in the 21st century yeah. if, if they don't make some changes. And uh, it's happening. I mean, even I've, I've worked with senior executives at you know, Nestle and Coca-Cola and a lot of these other companies, they're buying up natural brands. Yes. They're try- kind of hedging their bets because yeah. they realize that they, they're losing the trust of the American consumer and they wanna be on the natural ride so that if the organic natural you know, foods continue to grow in popularity, yeah. they're not gonna be
0: left out in the cold. That's true. It's true. They are feeling the pressure. I can tell you that. I've met with some of these executives, too. I even visited the Nestle main factory, I mean, uh, in in Cleveland, which is where they have Uh one of the main... Centers yeah. in America, in their research center, yeah. and they showed me how they're, they're they're taking their traditional products and they're removing a lot of the bad ingredients. Right, right. They're actually they're act- ingredient labels are actually getting smaller yeah. in a lot of in a yeah, lot of which products, which is impressive. So that is hopeful. Yeah, uh, I think we need to do more. Obviously, you and I want this to happen tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> and you know you don't have
1: to wait for Nestle or McDonald's or Coke or the U.S. government to change its policies yeah. to eat real healthy food
0: and reap the benefits. Starting I, now. I think the other hopeful message is that. The average person has tremendous power to change all of this. Yeah, uh, You can't end natural disasters. You can't end war easily right. as a single human. But you can change the food system. And it is happening, I can tell yeah. you, because the leaders in the food industry are actually changing their practices based on, on these kinds of things. And it doesn't take much. And I encourage everybody listening to read uh, Ocean Robbins' new book, 31 Day Food Revolution, How to Heal Your Body, Feel Great, Transform Your World. And learn about how to take the action that's going to make a difference for you, your family, your community, the planet, everything that matters. Um, yeah. If you, were, if you were king for a day, last question, <laughs> and you could actually wave your regal staff and change something that would have huge impact in the world, uh, what would it be?
1: Well, in the world of food, yes. I mean, policy-wise, I don't know if I could just choose one thing. Can I do a few? So I you would, can, can go. I would go. Uh, double the value of food stamps or SNAP program dollars for fruits and vegetables. Uh, we we have a po- program like that with Wholesome Wave. Five hundred thousand Americans are taking advantage of it right now. And guess double what? One. Guess what? They're they're eating more fruits and vegetables, and they're healthier because of it. I would end the subsidies of commodities, crops, and the tens of billions of dollars of taxpayer money that are bringing down the price of factory farm meat and high-fructose corn syrup. And if I was going to subsidize anything, I would try to subsidize healthy food for low-income communities. Let's stop subsidizing Wonder Bread. Let's start subsidizing broccoli. Um, I would mandate that nutrition education is a part of medical school, and I would make sure that the National Board of Medical Examiners included nutrition on the exam tests that are given to medical school graduates before they get their license so that schools who teach to the test would have to include yeah, you have to teach nutrition you in the process. And I don't just mean nutrition, I mean how to help implement it with patients. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, and then um, uh, that, Those are probably on day one. I would ultimately, if I really was king, I would ban the factory farming system altogether. I think that cooping up animals in deplorable conditions Feeding them grain and soy that is wasted because it takes 12 pounds of grain or soy to make one pound of feedlot beef creating an environmental disaster and then giving ourselves heart attacks is kind of a bad combination. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. <laughs> so I would ban that system and I would say, you know, if we're going to eat meat, let's make it sure it's pasture-raised and comes from animals that saw the sun and ate grass and lived a decent quality of life. Okay, so when
0: are you announcing your candidacy for presidency <laughs> in 2020? <'Cause> I, <laughs> I would vote
1: for you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I want to say. I think everybody right now, we get to be the president of our own lives. Yeah. We give too much power to political leaders and we forget that the real power of our destiny lies much more in our hands than we often realize. That's what we have the most say over. Yes, vote at the ballot box. But at the end of the day, vote with your knife and fork. Vote with your relationships. Vote with how you live day in and day out, because that's really what changes
0: the world. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ocean, for this really important conversation. You know, as I often say, Martin Luther King said, uh, our lives begin to end uh, the, the day we're silent about things that matter. And you and your dad and your whole Food Revolution Network and your book has really speaking out loudly about things that really matter. So thank you f- for that. I really appreciate it. Oh, and,
1: thank you, Mark. And it does matter. And thank you for shining such a bright light on the most critical issues of our times. Doctor's Pharmacy, what a what a <laughs> beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you,
0: thank you. Well, you've been listening to The Doctor's Pharmacy, a place for conversations that matter. If you love this podcast and this conversation, please uh, re- sign up and subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. share with your friends and family on social media, and... We'll see you next time on The Doctor's Pharmacy.